All right, so I don't know if you've ever encountered a moment like this, um, a moment that sort of just froze time, uh, a moment that you can go back and you can almost just, you can smell the smells, you can hear the sounds. Um, maybe if you were in that ge geographic location, it would kind of remind you of that. Some, some, and it, and it, could be, it could be good or bad, right? It, it doesn't have to be uh, a good memory. It could be a mad, bad memory that, that made time almost just slow down or stop for just a moment and kind of seared a memory into your brain. And, and there's actually, uh, there's this really interesting deep tie between emotions and memory. And so uh, there's some neurological words that I don't exactly know how to pronounce, but I know that, that what the effect of them is, is that your brain, the way your brain deals with emotion and memory is actually really tied up together. The way that, that memories get encoded in your brain. So however that works, you know, but it's, Emotion actually helps kind of seal that in. It puts like super glue on those memories and sticks it into your brain a little bit deeper. And you probably have something like that. And you can tell because um, if I asked you about your commute last Wednesday, you know, some of you are like, I commuted to my bedroom office. You know, I didn't commute anywhere. But, you know, if we were in a day, you know, the day and age of commuting, the odds of you remembering last Wednesday's commute, like what song were you listening to? I don't know. You know, what'd you eat for breakfast that morning? Unless it's the same thing every day, um, you know, then you probably don't remember. Uh, but if, if you had gotten into a car accident last Wednesday on your way in that commute, then you would remember that, right? You, you could probably even pull out, hey, I was listening to this song. I was eating this food when I got T-boned by that car in this intersection, you know? Uh, those memories where there's some amount of great emotion, whether that's fear or excitement or um, joy, those, those memories stand out and they kind of hold your brain and codes them kind of in a special way. What I want to look at today is, is from the book of Acts, so you can see that we're studying the book of Acts together as a church, and it's a really great moment for our church to be studying the book of Acts for believing that God is uh, doing work just like he did in the book of Acts in our church even now. And, uh, and so we're going to look at this moment, and it's a moment that froze time for someone. It's one of those moments, you know, time-freezing moments, experiences for somebody. And uh, it's in Acts chapter 3. That's where we're going to be. So we've been in Acts chapter 2 for the last three weeks. Okay, so now we're going to make our way to Acts chapter 3. And we're going to witness a guy who's in the midst of his daily routine. I actually would love to have a daily routine. I was thinking about that this week. I was like, man, I don't know. If I have a daily, I mean, it's like, is Emma going to wake up? And it's like my nine-month-old at like 3.30 or 5 or 5.30. Like, where is she going to be? Because that's going to, I don't have a daily routine. It's like my daily routine is uh, just trying to be a dad and a pastor and stay alive, you know? And it's kind of like as routine as it gets. But uh, this guy was in the midst of a very daily routine. And he experienced something I'm sure he never forgot. I'm confident for the rest of this life he never forgot this moment, this day, this commute of his. And so we're in Acts chapter 3, and, and it's not just a fun little story. So as we're, as we're, you know, if you have a Bible, turn there. If you have an app, you can get there. Um, but it's not just like a fun little story, okay? And so a lot of times I think, especially with our kiddos, we can try to just take, you know, stories from the Bible and make them vignettes of just that terminate on themselves. And, and so that's not what this is. It's not just a fun little story. It was an event, and so don't, don't forget that. We're like looking at something that was an event in time, the his, historical event. And it was a miraculous event, event which uh, the laws 
of the nature, the laws of nature in this world, this universe, were bent for just a moment. It's what kind of that's what a miracle is, right? So there's a natural order, there's physics, and just think the way things happen in the universe. And then sometimes things happen, and there's no explanation for it other than, hey, the the laws that govern all these things were momentarily paused. And that's what happens in this text. Uh, but, but it's not just the miracle that we want to see. We want to see what it points you to, what it points us to. It's the miracle is followed by a message. And that's really the, the rhythm that you can see in the scriptures. Miracles and messages, miracles and messages. A wonder followed by a word. And the word wasn't just for the guy who got transformed. Oftentimes it's not just for the one who receives the miracle. It's not just for this guy the one who got his daily routine interrupted. And so my hope and my belief in this passage, my belief in delivering this to you and having received it myself, is that the miracle that we're unpacking can bring not just transformation for this guy, not just transformation for the people who were present there that day, but transformation for us. So do you believe that? Do you believe that a miracle thousands of years ago created a message that could transform you today? Because I do. And so I believe that the message that follows this miracle is for you today, too. And as you look at it, you're going to see something that almost all miracles in the scriptures have. Or all, something that they almost all do. Okay, Almost all miracles in the scriptures are pointing you in the same directions. That's plural, directions. All right, Almost all miracles. And, and Tim Keller helpfully pointed this out. He, he pointed out how miracles point you upward, and they point you onward, and they point you inward. Okay, And so almost all miracles, you could trace this, you go back and look at them throughout the course of the scriptures, and you're going to see they're going to point you upward, they're going to point you onward, they're going to point you inward. Okay, so let's look at this together. Context is uh, Acts chapter 1, we see Jesus resurrected from the tomb, out on the loose, the resurrected one kind of on the loose, and, uh, and then he ascends to, to heaven, right, to take his seat next to the Father. And then you see in Acts chapter 2 this miracle at Pentecost where all these people who don't speak all the languages of the earth start speaking all these languages. It's a miracle which delivers a message at Pentecost and it creates a movement out of Pentecost. We saw that last week. And that movement's really in the form of a community, a community that we all would want to be a part of, uh, a community that's uh, a, great, a great place to be. And so it's this community that's now just going about in their daily kind of weekly operation that we're going to come into Acts chapter 3. And I'm going to read all of verses 1 through 11 because this is what happened that day, okay? So, so don't let your mind drift while we're reading it, okay? If you have to read it on the screen or read it on the, it helps to have, you know, the more senses you can get involved in something, the more you can actually pay attention to it. And so if you're anything like me, by verse 3, you're going to ask yourself what you ate for breakfast that's making you feel like that or what you're going to eat for lunch that can make you feel better, or, you know, maybe you're not just focused on food, but I am, so uh, you, you do what you want to with that, so uh, Acts chapter 3, verse 1 through 11, now Peter and John were going up to the temple at the hour of prayer, the ninth hour, which just to do some math, that's 3 p.m., the way that they calculated time, afternoon prayer, and a man lame from birth was being carried, whom they laid daily at the gate of the temple that is called the beautiful gate to ask alms of those entering the temple. Seeing Peter and John about to go into the temple, he asks to receive alms. Alms is like just an ancient way of saying like kind of a generosity for somebody who's in a bad situation, okay? Um, and it's, it could be money or food or anything like that. 
And Peter directed his gaze at him, as did John, and said, look at us. And he fixed his attention on them, expecting to receive something from them. But Peter said, I have no silver and gold, but what I do have to you, what I do have I give to you. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, rise up and walk. And he took him by the right hand and raised him up. And immediately his ankles were made strong. His feet and ankles were made strong. And leaping up, he stood and began to walk and entered the temple with them, walking and leaping and praising God. Because wouldn't you? And all the people saw him walking and praising God and recognized him as the one who sat at the beautiful gate of the temple asking for alms. And they were filled with wonder and amazement at what happened to him while he clung to Peter and John. All the people utterly astounded. That's like the only place in all the Bible that those words right there are used. They were just totally floored, uh, ran together to them in the portico called Solomon's. Solomon's porch, the part of the temple that they were in. They all just, all of a sudden, start flooding there. And so what you see is this guy who we learn later on is at least 40 years old. Okay, at least 40 years old. Uh, Every day... He's daily commute carried to a spot where people are going to worship in the temple because this is like an everyday thing where they have this morning prayer and afternoon prayer, morning and afternoon. Okay, so people are coming in and out, high traffic spot, okay? So it's a street corner that a lot of people are passing by, a lot of people going to church, okay? So it's like, hey, these people should be generous. Let me like kind of post up right here. Um, And he would ask for financial help. And so he's at least 40. He's born with a disability that kept him from being able to walk, okay? And so it's not, not necessarily paralysis, but it's something close to it. And so in a moment, just, just in a moment, Peter, one of, one, of the disciples, one of the apostles, okay, so he in a moment reaches down, grabs his hand and pulls him up. And as he does, the physical brokenness, brokenness and weakness that his body has been su- subjected to, uh, it was undone in a moment. Right? You see, he didn't go to physical therapy. He wasn't like, okay, now drink a lot of water, which is what every time I get a massage, they're like, drink a lot of water because you got something wrong with your back, bro, um, and you need a lot of water. It's not, there's no rehab, right? Immediately, it says immediately his feet and ankles were made strong, strong enough to start jumping around, leaping, okay? So I don't know if you've leapt lately. Is that even the past tense of leap? I think it is. And so have you leapt lately? And so as soon as, like, if you can't, that's, that's just an overflow of joy coming out of this guy because he's like, these things work. Finally, these things work. He's never jumped in his life. He's leaping. And so I just wonder if when's the last time you saw like a genuine celebration like that? When's the last time you saw somebody just losing it out of excitement? If, when you do, it's like hard to stay in a bad mood unless it's like somebody you really don't get along with and you're like, and they just won something you wish you won, or I don't know, uh, whatever it was. It's hard, hard to stay mad, right? You see just joy coursing through somebody, causing them to jump and leap because something so good has happened. Maybe for me, the closest I could get to this are these videos that I see whenever kids who are, have hearing impairment they get implants, and they can hear for the first time. And if I talk about it for like five more seconds, I'm going to start crying. Like, because it's guaranteed. It's like guaranteed tears for me every time. I'm like, if I want to cry, you want to make me cry, just come up and hold that video up to me. And I'll, and I'll get sucked into it every time because I'm like, what's going to happen? You know, and then they, they, the, the kid hears, you know, 
their, their parents saying their name for the first time, and they're like, you know, and it catches their breath, and, and everybody starts crying in the room, right? Because it's like, oh, man, what, what hasn't worked is finally working as it should, right? And it's just beautiful, guaranteed tears for me. And so what the reality is is when big suffering is healed, there's big celebration, right? You know this. There's big suffering. When that heals, there's big celebration. And people see that big celebration in this temple, and they recognize the guy who's celebrating. They're like, it's Joe. You know, we don't know his name. Don't even tell his name. You know, it's Joe. He, he can walk. Joe's walking. And the news starts spreading. And everybody knows Joe because they walk by him twice a day, every day. They've been giving this guy money for years and years, and they never fixed his legs. But all of a sudden, his legs get fixed. And so that's, that's when it says they all ran together in the portico called Solomon's. In Acts 13, 12, then it goes on to say that Peter saw the crowd that had formed, and he addresses the crowd. So, so the miracle then has its effect, right? Is that now there's a crowd there. And what does Peter do? He addresses that crowd. So there's a miracle. That's what happened. Now there's a message. The miracle created the context for the message. That miracle is actually creating context for this message today, kind of. You know, like there's a sense in which we're recapping the apostles' teaching, seeing that. And that miracle is now going to point us upward and onward and inward. Let's see how it does it. Acts 13, 12. Okay, so it says, And when Peter saw it, he addressed the people. Men of Israel. This is very similar to his address in Pentecost. That's what you're going to realize is it's very similar. He's not like, you know, let me get a new message and kind of retool this. He's like, I'm just going to say it again. Men of Israel, why do you wonder at this? Or why do you stare at us as though by our own power or piety we have made him walk? He says, why are you looking at me? People are, looking, people are just staring at Peter because all of a sudden you see something like that happen. You're like, what's this dude got cooking, man? Because he's got something I don't got. I, don't, I can't do that. Nobody can do that. What's he got? And so he's like, why are you looking at me? He says, he'd probably be like, well, because you healed the guy, so I'm looking at you. He says, we're just the delivery guys. <laughs> I'm just the Amazon guy, <laughs> you know, I'm just the guy with the package dropping it off. So where should they look? Peter says, don't look at me. I'm just the delivery guy. So that's where he says, he says this miracle is meant to make you look upward. So see how he says it. The God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. This is a callback to Genesis language, okay? The same God of the Old Testament, the God of our fathers, glorified his servant, Jesus. Now, I'm going to do a dot, dot, dot here because there's something I'm particularly wanting to draw your attention to. We're going to come back to what he says to them about in, these, in the verses in between. But he says, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, the God of our fathers, he glorified his servant, Jesus. And look at verse 16. In his name, Jesus' name, by faith in his name, he has made this man strong, whom you see and know. And the faith that is through Jesus has given the man this perfect health in the presence of you all. So, So understand, who did this miracle? He says Jesus did this miracle. Look at it again without the intersection by faith in his name. And his name has made this man strong whom you see and know. His name, Jesus' name, made this man strong. Jesus' name is what brought about this miracle. Jesus did this. Pull your eyes up to the ascended Son of God, Jesus, and see that he is the one who made this man well. So where should you be looking? 
we should be looking, according to Peter, at Jesus. He says, don't look at me, man. Look at him. He did it. And look really carefully at the language in this of what's happening. When, when, when he says, like, you don't have to look back at it, but it, it is interesting when you look at it. Um, I thought, I, every time I've read this passage, I've always thought it's the man, like Joe, you know, whatever his name is. I've always thought it's Joe's faith, you know. It's Peter's faith. It's not this guy has faith, that's why he got healed. Peter has faith. Look, look at it again. Um, uh, I'm like looking back at this passage. Um, in his name, by faith in his name. I can't find exactly where it was in my notes, so I'm sorry. But, it, but the, the, the implication of what the text is pointing us to is that it's not, it's not that Joe has faith in his name, it's that Peter does. And the faith that is through Jesus, faith is coming through P, from Jesus into Peter to do this miracle. This is all com, coming from uh, uh, verses 13 and then 16. In his name, by faith in his name, not for the guy, but for Peter. Peter has faith in the name of Jesus to reach down and grab this guy. And this is what's interesting is Peter's probably walked by this guy multiple times. He's been going to the temple a bunch. And all of a sudden today, Jesus says something to Peter that says, stop and pick up that guy. Grab him by the hand, lift him up. Give him what you've got, which is my name. And when he says the name of Jesus, he's saying the person of Jesus. The name of somebody represents who they are. And so he's saying Jesus is the one who is doing this. And so what my question would be is, do you believe that Jesus is who Peter is saying that he is? Peter is saying that Jesus is the one who wrought this miracle in this man's life. Jesus is the ascended son of God who then has power over creation to tell it what to do. He can bend the laws of the universe however he pleases to, to do whatever he miracles he wants to. Do you believe that Jesus is the same Jesus that Peter's talking about? Or has somewhere in your heart the kind of the dust on these pages kind of dusted over the name of Jesus and who he really is to you? Do you believe that he is who Peter is saying that he is? We don't get to see a healed man walk into this room and say, leap around, and we don't get to see it, but we get to look at him on these pages. And what I want you to realize is that Jesus is, is not a genie, right? He's not, he's not a genie. He's a king. He's not a genie. He's a king, not of a country, but of all creation. It obeys him. And so let this miracle have this first effect of looking upward and being reminded who your king is. If you're in Christ today, you are following a king not just of a country, but of creation, right? And so uh, as it pulls our eyes upward to the resurrected, ascended Jesus, it also pulls our eyes forward or onward, okay? Why onward? It's onward because this is not just a snapshot of what has been. It's definitely not a snapshot of what it has been for this guy. This guy's been, he's never been able to walk. It's not, a, it's not recovering something in his life. It's actually a snapshot of what will be. This miracle, and for the record, most 
almost every miracle you can trace in the scriptures are all relieving human suffering. Jesus wasn't like, hey, y'all, watch this. I'm going to make a unicorn in those clouds. You know, like that was never his miracle, right? It was almost always removing human suffering. You're like, what about the water Water turned into wine? Is that just because they really needed a drink? Uh, no, it wasn't suffering like that. It was actually social suffering in that moment that he was relieving. And so if you look, it's almost always relieving human suffering. It's not just pointing to back to what has been, but pointing forward to what will be. Do you believe that? He is a king, and so he's pointing us forward to what his kingdom will be like. He says in Luke 4, 18, Jesus says this, almost like one of the first things he says in public ministry. He stands up, he says, the spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim liberty to the captives and recovering of sight to the blind and to set at liberty those who are oppressed. He says, that's why I came here. Because I'm starting to bring my kingdom in this place. This is what it's going to look like. He began that work. In Acts, we see that he's continuing that work. In Revelation, we see that he will finish that work. Remember Revelation 21, if you've never read it, just go read it. There's no more tears there. There's no more pain there. There's no more sadness there. Death doesn't live there. And there's a David Crowder song. It was stuck in my head this morning when I woke up. I haven't even listened to it lately. And so I figured I would tell you guys. Um, Because it says this. It says, earth has no sorrow that heaven can't heal. Earth has no sorrow that heaven can't heal. And so some of you... Maybe you're not walking through that, but you definitely know people that are in the midst of suffering. Maybe that's emotional suffering or physical suffering. Maybe it's spiritual suffering. Jesus is in this miracle pointing you forward to what his kingdom will be like. There's nobody whose ankles and knees don't work there. Whatever the suffering is that you have experienced or that you're walking through, Jesus is pointing you to telling you to look onward and know that earth has no sorrow that heaven can't heal. Okay? Peter even says it like this, talking in verse 21, he talks about how Jesus, Jesus whom heaven must receive, must receive, Jesus is there in heaven, until the time for restoring all things about which God spoke about by the mouth of his holy prophets long, prophets long ago. You hear that? Until the time for restoring all things. On our website, just like I spent a long, long time thinking about this, what you're going to see the first thing you go there. The first thing you should see, maybe the top bar, but Jesus is making all things new. So maybe you just need to remember that. He's not like maybe going to. He's going to. Okay? So this miracle healed the physical suffering and points us onward, but there is a suffering, a brokenness that is deeper than the physical and more urgent. It just is. The final direction that I think this miracle is intended to make us look is inward. So we've looked upward. Hey, this is being done by a king of the creation, Jesus of Nazareth. Now it's making us look onward. Hey, his kingdom is going to come one day, and this is what it will be like. And then finally, it's going to make us look inward. Because what Peter wants to highlight for those in the crowd, what he wants to highlight is where they stand with the one whose name brought about this healing. Do you see that? 
What he wants to say to them is not, well, I'll, I'll show you. He says in Acts 3, verses 14 and 15, but you denied the holy and righteous one and asked for a murderer to be granted to you. Not only, and then he said, well, and you killed the author of life. So they made this deal. We're going to kill the author of life and set free a killer into our community. I, somebody read that, somebody commented on that, and they said it's total, total insanity. It's total insanity. We're, let's release the killer and kill the author of life. They got it completely backwards. He continued in verse 19. He says, this is what you should do then. Repent, therefore, and turn back, that your sins may be blotted out, that times of refreshing may come from the presence of the Lord. So he, so he says to them, he doesn't say repent and turn back so that your bruises or your sickness or your diseases will go away. And tell not. Hey, he doesn't say believe in Jesus and, and you can have healing like this guy. He doesn't say that. He says, no, repent and turn back to God by faith in Jesus. Be healed in your relationship with the one who gave you life. Be healed, reconciled to the one who in his presence is the very fullness of joy. At his right hand are pleasures forevermore. That's our first problem as human beings. That's your first problem as a human being. You see what he says, turn back that your sins may be blotted out. Now, sins are not super popular to talk about. There's a lot of things in your world that you are falsely accused of, but there are some things that you are accurately accused of. You're accurately accused of them. You actually have had thoughts, attitudes, and actions that are in rebellion against God. I have. We all have. All have fallen short. All have sinned and fallen short. It's a universal problem. That's why it's good news that this miracle is making us look inward. Because this miracle is actually not dissimilar from another one. And it helps you see how you need to look inward, okay? So this is not the first paralytic that Jesus has healed, okay? It's not the first paralytic, because Jesus brought this healing, right? Peter, Peter's like, I didn't do it. I'm just the delivery guy. Jesus did it. Jesus healed another paralytic guy. Early in his ministry, Jesus was teaching in a home somewhere. And these people... These, these friends of a paralytic, they're like, we got to get him close to Jesus. We think that we got a shot. We got a shot that the biggest, most pressing issue, this life-haunting problem that this guy has can be solved if we can just get him close enough to Jesus. And the house is so packed that they can't make their way through. They can't get to him. And so what they do is they go up on top of this roof and they start ripping the roof off. They rip off the roof, and they lower their friend down in, in front of Jesus. And everybody who's listening to Jesus teach, are like dust everywhere, and it's like, what's going on? And then you see this guy coming down, being lowered down on this bed. And you're just like, what is Jesus going to do? Is he going to heal him? What's he going to say? Is he going to be mad that you interrupted him? And he says the craziest thing. Do you remember? Have you read this story? your sins are forgiven. <laughs> if you're one of the friends, you know, you're one of the friends who brought him there. 
You're like, we, you don't, that roof wasn't that easy to take off, okay? So we didn't bring him here so he could hear something nice. We brought him here so he could get healed. But that's what Jesus is trying to tell us. There's a bigger problem that this guy has. He heals the bigger problem first. When he says your sins are forgiven, for the record, all the Pharisees lose their mind. They lose their mind. They're like, you can't say that, man. You can't say that. You know why they're so upset? It'd be like me and Chris here having a conflict, right? And Kate walks up, and she's like, hey, guys, it's okay. I forgive you. We'd be like, it's not really between. uh, You're not in this, Kate. But Jesus walks up to the conflict that we have with God and says, I forgive you. And the Pharisees are like, it's not between. You're not in this. And Jesus says, yeah, I am. I'm God. I can forgive Right, so that's what, he, that's what he's saying. So, but he, he says, hey, you've got a bigger problem, this paralysis. And, and it's, they don't have like first century health or 21st century health care. They have first century health care, and it's not looking great for the paralyzed guy. Okay, life is not really comfortable. There's not a lot of hope. They don't, he can't communicate. He's just stuck there. He's just stuck. And um, to prove that Jesus has power to forgive sins, he tells the man in that moment, because he says, they're like, you can't say that. And he's like, well, which one would be harder for me to forgive his sins or make him walk and they're like wow that's a confusing question i don't even know how to answer that it'd be harder in some ways for you to actually heal him right now but harder in other ways for you to forgive his sins because that means you're your god so jesus says let me just make it easy for you get up and the guy gets up and walks and everybody's jaw hits the floor right so what's the takeaway from that healing what's jesus trying to tell you not that he has the power to heal your body although he does He's telling you that he has the power to heal your soul. He has the power to heal your bigger problem. That's why miracles don't point you just upward or onward. They point you back inward about something that's wrong in here with you. It's not popular. It's not a popular message that there's something inside of you that's not right but it's the only message that I bet truly makes sense to your soul. Because the message that says, hey, actually, you're really great. you are got it. You're doing it. The message is going to drive you crazy because when you look in the mirror, when you look in your eyes, you know it's not true. You know that you're deeply, fra- deeply flawed, deeply broken, that you can't fix what's wrong in there. So the gospel is telling you the only thing that makes sense Jesus can fix you. And my question would be, and we'll wrap up with this, if you could choose to be healed of one thing today, what would it be? If you could be healed of one thing today, what would it be? If you could choose a healthy body or a healthy soul, which would you choose? Maybe, maybe it's not a body. Maybe if you could choose a healthy bank account or a healthy soul, which one would you choose? A healthy reputation or a healthy soul, which would you choose? What would you choose above a healthy soul? Or do you know that that's what you need most? For me, this question got pretty real um, whenever I, my second daughter, I've told you this story if you've been around, but Emma, she, when, she, when Natalie was pregnant with Emma, we found out she had a cyst on her brain. And the doctor told us, oh, it's going to go away and it's not a big deal, but if it doesn't, here's, here's what this could mean. 
And in that moment, I had to stand before the Lord and ask him for something. I'd ask him for something. Yes, I asked him to take it away. But would I ask him to heal her body or heal her soul? And I'll tell you, it's, it wasn't even close. It wasn't even close. More than anything in this world, I want my kids to have healthy souls. My friend Daniel, he's leading worship. His son Abel had trisomy 18, and so God answered that question differently for them. And Abel didn't live long on this earth, but I'm confident that he will live forever in a kingdom where there is no sickness because God can make his soul healthy. And he stewarded his story in an amazing, faithful way that I encourage you to look into. So how do we choose this healthy soul if you're convinced that that's what you need and you're listening to Jesus' words to you that you need that more than you need anything else? That today you could actually, you believe that, that today you could actually sit, leave this building. This is what is on my mind for you. You could leave this building today being who you most long to be. Not, not you could work towards it and you could make a plan and you could get, get after it and work hard and read enough Bible and go to enough counseling and do all the stuff you need to do. And you can leave here today exactly who you most long to be. Because this gospel message can meet you right where you are and define you most deeply today. So... Uh, how do we actually choose that? How do we choose to have a healthy soul? How do we actually choose to actually live in the identity that Jesus Christ has purchased for you, not for you to work yourself into, but for you to actually live out of? How do you actually do that? Because a lot of times you're going to be confronted with parts of you that aren't that. There's going to be things that you do, things that you say, things that you believe that aren't right. So what do you do? You don't hide from those. Any moment that you come across, this is how you can tell, any moment that you're encountering a, a situation where you're, you're at, your thoughts, attitudes, and actions are not trusting and treasuring God. You come, you, 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 you'll, you'll know it when you find it. There's a moment that you're coming across this week where your thought, life, your actions, or your attitudes are not aligned with God, with loving God most above everything else where you're not receiving God's love through Jesus and you're not giving it to other people. That's sin, okay? And so all, all week long, I feel like I've been confronted with mine. Really, really uncomfortably. And so I just want to give you a heads up. It's going to be super uncomfortable for you. Okay, so if you, you could leave here today exactly who uh, you most long to be because Jesus has finished it all, Okay? We had it all in creation. We lost it all through sin. Jesus paid it all through the cross, okay? Today, you can leave here exactly who you most long to be. You don't have to wait. But as you go about living in that, you're going to be confronted with parts of you that don't line up with that. Parts of you that aren't aligned with your identity in Christ. And I'm encouraging you. I'm begging you. Don't, don't hide from those. Uh, here's a picture of mine, okay? This last week or a week ago, um, in, in the last two weeks or whenever this is, I've had to get my car inspection renewed, and it's like, for me, this is like level 10 ninja challenge for me because it's just too much administration. There's like letters I've gotten. I've got to take it to the place, and I, I took it to the place, and the guy I pulled, before I even got into the 
space, you know, to get it checked out, whatever he does, and they hooks it up to a computer. Before I even got in, he looks at me, he goes, it's going to fail. And I was like, oh, dude, I just, you know, I'm like still in my car. He goes, I was like, how do you know? He goes, your, your tires, they're bald. And I was like, okay. He's like, you need two new tires, you're going to fail inspection. So I was like, oh. I guess I'm going to the tire place, you know, so I, I go to the tire place, get new tires, it's really expensive, it's, or it's, for me, it's really expensive, and my, my father-in-law, in a lot of just kindness and generosity, actually living out kind of an Acts 2 type of model, he just says, hey, I'm buying one of your tires, I'm like, you don't have to, but thanks, you know, uh, and, and so he just, in generosity, just gives me a hundred dollar bill wrapped around a check, okay, and that's important to know, Okay, so I take that $100 bill, I put it in my pocket, I drive from New Braunfels back to Fort Worth. We stop at Bucky's, not because Bucky's is awesome, it's actually probably like a COVID fest in there right now, but it was like the best spot to stop at, so we stop there, and, um, and I go in, I go out, get back in the car, drive back home, and that evening, uh, you know, take my wallet and everything out of my pants, and I reach to grab this check and this cash, and you know it's not there, neither check nor cash, and my heart just drops. And it's, it's not really about the cash. It's about this fact that I don't want to need that cash. I want to be somebody who's so good with money that I make, find ways to make more of it, not lose more of it. I felt irresponsible. I felt embarrassed. And I was going to do anything I could to try to hide this information. Natalie didn't know yet that he'd given that to me. So I had that and then if it was only cash, I thought, oh, man, you know what? I could just say thank you and never say anything about it. I just went into total how can I hide this mode because that's what I wanted to do. It wasn't about the cash. It's about my identity. How am I seen and perceived by my father-in-law, by people that are my, my family that I respect? What's my reputation like? And the grace for me, I prayed about that night. I said, God, will you help me find this money? You know what God did? It's a guy in Frisco, Texas, also stopped at Bucky's that day, found the cash and the check, tracked down my father-in-law, and reached out to him, and that has been given back to me. Isn't that crazy? But what I had to do was get exposed in my failure. Do you see that? I got confronted. And that was the first, that was like at the very beginning of the week. And then there's a lot of times all throughout the week where it's like, hey, my parenting, in this parenting moment, I wasn't really acting like who I want to be. And you know what? That information is not super fun to get. It's pretty uncomfortable to get that. So I don't know what yours is going to look like, how you're going to get confronted, how you're going to want to hide, how God's going to expose your sin, but that's not because he doesn't love you. It's because he does. He's meeting you where you are, not asking you to make your way to him. That's what the gospel is. Don't you see? And so where will you turn when you are confronted with your sin? Will you hide? Will you find ways to try to work that off? In what ways do you need to be exposed of your sin, in your sin. I'm just trying to tell you to not hide from that. Let this miracle turn you inward to recognize that you do need grace, a lot of grace. Ed Welch, a counselor, he says this. He says, we get confused about sanctification because we think it looks like strength. It looks like weakness. That's what he says. He's right. If dependence 
is the aim, the weakness is the advantage. And so don't hide. Don't hide from that, friends. My daughter Lucy, she's three years old, and this week I, walk, I got home and she was just all tears, all over the floor, just tears everywhere. Because she needed help getting dressed. Is that crazy? No, she's three. She did so much of it on her own. She was so sad that she needed help. You also need help. Maybe with something that seems really simple. Something that seems really easy. You're not meant to do that on your own. Do that with help. Be weak. That's what sanctification looks like. And people who are getting sanctified are people who have been met with this gospel truth, who have had their biggest problem already solved. Your disconnection, your fractured relationship with God has been healed through the blood of Jesus. Has been healed. So when you leave here, when we sing in a moment, you don't have to sing as somebody who's trying to get to God, who's trying to make it so that he will finally approve of you and finally love you. You don't have to sing to him and, and know that, I wonder if he knows all these things about me I wish I could hide. He already does. He already does. The Beatitudes start with this. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom. Bankruptcy is where this whole thing begins. You know, Peter, who's preaching this message, the first thing, his first encounter with Jesus, you know what he said to Jesus? I shouldn't be close to you. You know what Jesus said? Exactly. Come follow me. I'm going to close with these lyrics from a song called Mercy Shore, and I think it just, and for me, has encapsulated this kind of just um, hands open, released reality that you're going to get carried home that you're not going to make it back to this home, into this future kingdom of Jesus because you get it right and because you are strong enough and you figure it out. You're going to get carried there by grace. You're not going to get strong enough and heal your ankles and your knees spiritually. You're just going to get picked up. The lyrics go like this. It says, we're a child in the car asleep in the driveway at night. You know that picture if you have kids? If you don't, maybe you remember when you were a kid. We're a child in the car asleep in the driveway at night. Our mother's going to slowly sneak our body inside. We can rest in the arms of trust. There's no way that we can say we've earned our way into the light. All we have to do is stay. Will you stay? You stay synced up close to this gospel truth that you are in Christ today who you most long to be. You don't have to fix that. But as you lean in and you let that truth come to bear, it will fix, it will repair. He can do all things. Let's sing together. Heavenly Father, we do want to sing together now in this truth. And so would you, by your power of your Holy Spirit, empower our singing both to glorify you for all that you're worth, to make you real in our hearts and minds and in our lives. Jesus, we know that you live today. Would you, in your spirit, just be real in this place for us. Help us know your reality. And then would you make these truths real for us, God? We need it so bad.